Okay, so page 737 we start. Luke 12, verses 35 to 48. Let's get this so I can see. Okay. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. Sorry. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let the house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming and then begins to beat the manservants and the maidservants and to eat and to drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does, sorry, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Amen. I'll lead us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word and we pray now that as we look at it that you would be helping us to focus and helping by your spirit for our minds to develop understanding and for our hearts to change. And we ask these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Seduction. It, uh, it happens when we are charmed, doesn't it? It happens when we're charmed into believing that something which is actually bad for us is actually something good for us. Uh, we relax, we let our guard down, and we find ourselves going along with something which is contrary to our better judgment. Have you ever been seduced like that? It's happened to me. I remember times when I uh, remember a time when I, I had a meeting with someone. I sat down with them, and I was just totally disarmed by this person's uh, personality, his warmth, uh, his uh, his his, um, his words, 
and I agreed to his proposal. And then later on, as I was thinking about it, I thought, my goodness, why did I agree to that? I actually don't believe that's the right thing. Fortunately, that was on an issue which was not uh, important in the big scheme of things. But there is a big scheme of things, isn't there, where uh, when we are seduced, uh, it can be far more dangerous. Now, as Bible-believing people, we know that this life and this world is temporary. It is passing. Uh, we were reminded of that at Easter time uh, when we uh, thought about the resurrection of Jesus and saw how the resurrection of Jesus proves that God has appointed a day when he will judge all men and he will judge all men through the one whom he has appointed, who is proven by raising him from the dead, and that is Jesus, that God will bring about a judgment day when Jesus comes again. We know that, don't we? We know it. But yet we can be seduced into living as if we don't know it. Now that's not hard, is it? As we live in this world, we become immersed in the values of this world and sometimes that can lead us to living in such a way that our lives are indistinguishable from people around us as if this life, this world, is really all that there is. Like the farmer that we saw last week who stored up the grain in his barns and thought, I'll just eat, drink and be merry. And we can live like that, in a sense. We may say that we believe that Jesus is coming again, but live as if he isn't just like the non-Christians around us. So we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be reminded that Jesus is coming back. And in uh, Luke chapter 12, our passage today, in verses 35 to 48, Jesus does that reminding by telling us some parables, um, stories which would have made a lot of sense to his first century audience but which uh, require a bit of explanation for us. Here's a story that makes a bit of sense to our 21st century audience. Um, I, was in, I was in a meeting in Sydney last Wednesday and I was in a part of Sydney that I've never been to before in my life. I'm, I was completely unfamiliar. It was completely unfamiliar territory for me. I had never been there before. It was a long meeting. Started at 10.30 in the morning, finished at midnight. At midnight. <clears throat> I felt like I'd just been on a long aeroplane trip, you know, just sitting in one place for a long period of time. When I got into my car around midnight, I made a significant discovery. My GPS was not working. It was out of battery. How was I going to get back home? Somehow I found my way back to the other side of Sydney, to the guest house in Newtown. I did not expect that Cassie would have stayed awake and would be at the door ready to greet me. But it would have been nice if she had not locked the deadlock from the inside. 
I was tired, stressed, and locked out. Now, I'm not a master, and my wife is most certainly not my servant. But in verses 35 through to 38, Jesus hooks his hearers with a similar story about, about a master of a, a large household who been out on the town. He came home late one night. He's been, been at a wedding reception. And the question is, what would he expect from his servants? Well, he doesn't expect that he's going to be locked out of his house or that he's going to be tripping over things in the dark. No, he expects his servants to be awake, uh, dressed, ready, and there to be waiting and waiting for him, to serve him. Even if he's out all night, even if he doesn't get back till the crack of dawn, lamps burning, ready to open the door. Now, the people in the crowd would have been thinking to themselves, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. That is what the master should expect from his servants. But there is an unexpected twist uh, in Jesus' story, and we find it in verse 37, where he says this, he says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, and get this, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Now, in the first century culture, this is radical, it's so radical it's almost offensive, because the whole master-slash-servant thing worked fine so long as everyone played their role. <laughs> but when a master rewards his servants by serving them, by acting as if he's their servant, then it kind of upsets the equilibrium of the system. It turns the whole system upside down and... It perhaps also gives us a clue as to who this master is that Jesus is talking about. He changes the story in verse 39. Uh, now he talks about a homeowner who had his house broken into. And it may be, it may just be the way that this reads, it may be that uh, this is actually, has actually happened and that the crowd is aware of someone uh, who has just had their house broken into, which, by the way, in houses at the time, breaking into the house literally meant breaking into the house. You'd actually have to um, smash your way through the wall, and you could do that to get into the house. But if someone had given the owner the heads up, if someone had told the owner what time this job was planned for, then this may not have ended quite so well for the thief. And Jesus comes to the point in verse 40. In verse 40, he says, You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, notice three things about that verse. First of all, Jesus refers to the Son of Man. That is a title which is packed with meaning and it keeps on coming up doesn't it? it came up a couple of weeks ago in the passage we looked at it it comes from Daniel chapter 7 
where the Son of Man is that uh, great figure uh, in the vision of Daniel who comes on the clouds uh, to the Ancient of Days, to uh, God the Father in heaven, and that he is given uh, rule, he is given all authority, all power, all dominion over God's kingdom, which would extend to all peoples for all time, an everlasting kingdom. And so this is the the great messianic hope uh, that the Old Testament points us towards. So that's the first point. This is the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about. Secondly, Jesus says that this Son of Man will come. He doesn't say he might come or he's thinking about coming or it's a possibility that he might. No, he will come. His coming is a certainty. Thirdly, the timing of his coming is uncertain. Oh, it's certain to God, but not to us because God has has chosen not to reveal the timing of the coming of the Son of Man to us. Now, of course, uh, throughout church history, you're all aware uh, that there are literally hundreds of specific days that um, people have said that that's the day that uh, the Son of Man is going to come back. Uh, they've, they've studied the Bible, they've done these complex sets of calculations and they've identified particular days and said that's the day of the second coming. And of course, the sun has always risen the next day. Uh, It's always proven to be false, to be not true. And it's sad when you read about what happens to the followers of these people um, when they come to that realisation that what has been told is not true. God has not told us the day of the second coming. If God told us the day that Jesus was returning, then we would know that there was only one particular day that we needed to prepare for. But he wants us to be always prepared because being prepared means trusting in the gospel and living a godly life. Like the servants of the master, being ready, being dressed for service all the time. And so in verse 41, Peter, who seems to see himself as being somewhat of a spokesman for the other apostles, he chips in and he's got a question. Question in verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us? or to everyone. Uh, what's he asking there? He's saying, is, this, is it just the 12 who need to be ready for the coming of the master? Is it just for leaders, or does this apply to everybody? I don't really have any idea as to why Peter asks this particular question, but that's the nature of the question that he's asking. And some people actually say that Jesus doesn't really answer the question. Because he continues in verses 42 to 48 by telling more stories about servants and masters. 
Yet Jesus does answer the question. And I, I, you, know, you want to see a, a red hot tip that tells us that Jesus really did answer the question? It's in verse 42 where Luke tells us the Lord answered. He answered. He may not have answered the question the way that Peter was expecting, but what, what follows is the Lord's answer to that question. Everyone needs to be prepared. But those who are in leadership have a special responsibility. Uh, in Jesus' day, some servants had some pretty good jobs. Um, some servants would have managerial jobs in a rich man's house, in a rich man's business. And Jesus picks up on this in verse 42. In verse 42 where he says, The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Now, some of you are people who own businesses uh, or are in leadership roles in your workplace. If you own a business, it must be a great feeling when you leave someone else in charge whilst you go off on your holidays and you come back to find that everything is humming along nicely, exactly as it should be, that the place in your absence and under the management of the person you appointed has not fallen apart. Do you know that experience? Well, that's the kind of faithful person that you want to think about promoting because they're trustworthy. The Lord Jesus knew that after his departure that the apostles, Peter and others, would be entrusted to feed God's people with God's word. In fact, all who are appointed to leadership in God's church have this very serious responsibility. The Apostle Paul puts this bluntly in his second letter to Timothy, which I wouldn't mind if you'd just turn up actually in 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> when Paul is instructing Timothy about his responsibilities as a leader amongst God's people. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you find it on page 843, uh, if you're still looking for it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And down in verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. 
discharge all the duties of your ministry. Uh, it is a solemn and a grave responsibility. And here we see that this is what feeding the servants is all about. It's serious business. Because what is at stake here is the honour and glory of God. What is at stake here is the salvation of people. What is at stake here? It's about people hearing the gospel. It's about teaching God's people, helping God's people so that they are not seduced by the world. And it happens through teaching the word because we are all subject to the, uh, to the seduction of this world uh, and it can be very alluring. Sin is very enticing and it can seem normal. But through the teaching of the word, we are rebuked. We're not just rebuked and left in a state of being rebuked, we are corrected by God's word. And we are encouraged to keep on living our lives differently to the world. And why? Because, as Paul says here, in view of his glorious appearing, the master is coming back. That's why. Now, the problem is that there are leaders of God's people who are not in a position to help others from being seduced because they themselves have already been seduced by the world. And we see this in verses 45 to 46 of Luke 12. Verse 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers because he is an unbeliever. He's an unbeliever in the sense that he's not really expecting the master to return. Now the Pharisees were, were like this. Uh, we've read about it earlier in Luke's Gospel that they were supposed, to, as religious leaders, they were supposed to be feeding God's people, but instead they were feeding themselves. They loved the, the, the seats of honour in the synagogues. They, they loved the flowing robes. They loved the greetings in the market. They loved the honour and the status that accrued to them from their position. It's the same in the Christian church. There are church leaders whose ministry is not centred on the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. They may believe in the cross of Jesus. They may say, yeah, that's, that's assumed knowledge, but the centre of their faith and their message is something else. Or even worse, they may deny that the death of Christ on the cross is paid for sin they may deny that he's raised from the dead and he's certainly therefore not coming back. They do not expound the word of God. 
and they have been seduced by the trappings of office. They love having followers. They love the influence that they can have over people. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warned about wolves in sheep's clothing, leaders who would ravage the flock, who on the day of judgment will hear the solemn words, depart from me, I never knew you. And through them the flock is ravaged. Because by not preaching the gospel, by not feeding God's people, they deny people access to the knowledge of salvation. It is as if they just don't take the return of the master seriously. They don't really think he's coming back. And it's no wonder, therefore, in verse 46, that the punishment for this servant is so severe. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild talking. This is the Jesus says, cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now, brothers and sisters, it's because of this that in James chapter 3, verse 1, we are told that not many should actually presume to be teachers because we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's appropriate, therefore, for us to be praying for people in our congregation who teach in various capacities, who lead Bible study groups, who teach Sunday school classes, who teach scripture in the schools and, and uh, in student ministry. Pray especially for Peter and for myself that we would faithfully feed God's people with God's word. Because what is at stake here is the salvation and the health of God's people, the proclamation of the gospel in our town and in our region, and for those of us who teach our own souls. But Jesus is not just speaking to the leaders. In answer to the Apostle Peter's question, in verses 47 to 48, Jesus also includes the crowd. Because guess what? When Jesus comes back, everyone will be judged. And so therefore it's just as well, is it not, that Jesus has already died on the cross to pay the punishment which we deserved. So when is the right time to trust in Jesus? How about now? Now is a good time to trust in Jesus. Any day is a good time to trust in Jesus before he comes again or else face the judgment ourselves. And those who have abused spiritual leadership will face even greater punishment. And this is what we see in verse 48. In verse 48, it says, But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. But everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, brothers and sisters, the, the certainty of the coming of the Son of Man and the uncertainty of the timing of that coalesce uh, 
creating and giving us a becoming a very powerful reason for us to resist the seduction of this world. Um, the atheists in England, um, do you remember a few years back they ran an advertising campaign uh, where they, um, uh, they bought advertising space on the sides of those big English London double-decker buses? Do you remember that? Um, you know, big buses that run around the streets of, of London. Uh, and the, the, these were like big long banners that went across the whole length of the bus uh, saying quite boldly, there probably is no God. Now, stop worrying and enjoy your life. I just loved the Christian response to that. Someone had put a sign up at a bus stop to be read by impatient commuters, which says there probably is no bus. <laughs> so just relax and enjoy your life. It's in this same vein that people dismiss the second coming. They say, well, you know, Christians, they've been preaching the second coming for the last 2,000 years and guess what? It ain't happened yet. So forget it. It's not coming back. It's not true. Just live your life now and enjoy it while you can. But you know, um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, in the passage that I've actually printed on the um, other side of your bulletins there, we, we are reminded that time for God is not the same as time is for us. Uh, you know, God's been around for a long time. Uh, God has been around forever. And so... A thousand years for us, well, it's just like a day for God. And rather than scoffing, they should actually be grateful for God's patience. Grateful that Jesus has not come back yet because it means that there is still time left for them to put their trust in Jesus. It means also that there is still time left for those whom we love our brothers and sisters, our mums and dads, our friends, our colleagues at work, our neighbours, those whom we love and whom we pray for, there's still time left for them to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when Peter asked his question of Jesus on that day, it's kind of an awkward question. Peter was prone to asking awkward questions and saying awkward things before he received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but boy, things changed after that. Listen to Peter again. Listen to the changed, the reformed, the, the gospel-centred, the Holy Spirit-filled Peter as he writes in that passage from 2 Peter. And I guess reflecting on what Jesus had told him, reported to us in Luke 12. Listen to Peter when he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, I'm guessing 
probably not the sort of people who just live for this world as if this is what it's all about. No, Peter says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. He goes on to say, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort, make every effort to be found to be spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Just like a faithful servant, dressed to serve, lamps burning and ready for the master at any time that the master should return. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the revelation that you've given us in this passage. We thank you that Jesus is the Son of Man, the great King over your everlasting kingdom. We thank you, Father God, that he will come again one day uh, to put an end to sin, to judge this world. And, oh, Father, we're so grateful that our sin has already been paid for by his shed blood. Father, we look forward to that day. We look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, for that uh, uh, existence where uh, sin is no more, where righteousness fills existence. Father, we pray that we would be ready for that day. We pray, Lord God, that, uh, that your gospel would be proclaimed throughout our land and throughout our world and that by your spirit that many, many, many more people would be ready to meet him, that they would be putting their trust in Jesus. We pray for ourselves that we would be people who are living every day as if Jesus could return right now that we'll be people who are living holy and godly and upright lives as we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and our Saviour, Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen.